As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then came another saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entertaining, entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And so those who were sent away and found it just as they had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks in the colt, colt they set Jesus upon it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near already on the way down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, 
he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything that they could do, for all of the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again today. Please bow your heads with me. God, our Father, we thank you that at the cost of your grace, you have brought us to the treasure of your word in which we have the knowledge of your dear Son. We thank you for the bread of heaven and we thank you today for the water of life. We owe you more than hearty thanks. Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of your spirit today, prepare and strengthen and establish us thoroughly in your eternal kingdom with all the dimensions of your wisdom and your knowledge and your love and make us glad at all times in the comfort of your holy gospel. And now may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray it in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's important today to consider what Luke is doing uh, in this passage in Luke 19, especially that he has carefully placed the narrative of the triumphal entry uh, between two other sections of Scripture, namely the parable of the, the, the Ten Minas and the weeping of the city. These two episodes of, that Luke has, has written out for us, these two portions of Scripture frame and they make sense of all that's happening in this dramatic entry of Jesus into the city. There was a lot of extravagance that day. There was a lot of praise towards Jesus as he made his, his final earthly entry into Jerusalem. We read that there was rejoicing and loud voices and even shouting going up. There was pronounced physical gestures as we talked about with the children. Disciples removed their cloaks and they spread them down before him an impromptu red carpet to recognize his fame. Others ran out and cut down palm branches and they they laid them down in the path of Christ. And it would have been a striking moment to see. All eyes were on Jesus. All minds were fixed on Jesus. There was tremendous electricity in the air that day. In fact, electric doesn't say the half of it. In Matthew's Gospel, we read that the whole city of Jerusalem was stirred up by the enthusiastic crowd that was entering the city that day. And in the ESV, it's a rather weak translation, stirred up. In the Greek, it's a seisthe. It's where we get our word seismic from. 
It was an earthquake that day. The whole city of Jerusalem was shaken and stirred by the praise of, the, the, the praise of those who were following in the path of Jesus. And there was good reason for all of that excitement. Luke tells us in verse 37 that they had seen all of the mighty works of the Lord. You see, they had been following Jesus from Galilee. They had seen him heal the blind. They had seen him heal the deaf and raise the lame from their beds. They had seen him with astonishing authority speak to demonic and devilish powers that had been plaguing them for years and years. And all he needed to do, it seemed, was to speak into word, words of authority in front of them. And then there was that thing that Jesus did that sent shockwaves through the community. Jesus walked up to a tomb in Bethany. He walked up to a tomb of a man who had been dead for four days, and he there demonstrated the full extent of his authoritative presence for all he needed to do in that front of that tomb was to speak a short sentence. All he needed to do was to say, Lazarus, come out. And in that tomb, and at that moment, death was, was reversed. In that moment, the thing which is our greatest enemy, the thing that we are so helpless in front of, that foe was immediately stripped of its power and was defeated by a sentence that came out of the mouth of the Lord. And a dead man was brought back to life. Now you can imagine the excitement in the air. Here's a people who've been long oppressed by foreign powers. They've experienced defeat after defeat. And now the strongest power yet to rule the earth, the mighty Roman Empire, has subjected the Jews to their whims and to their pleasures. And the Jewish people are longing for liberation. I mean, it's in their DNA. They've been promised that Israel would reign and have dominion from sea to sea. They've been promised that the nations would come down and bow before their royal son. The prophets have declared to Israel that they would possess the land forever, that the least one of them would become a clan and the smallest one would become a mighty nation. Their walls would not be in, in, in crumbling situation, but they'd be called salvation and their gates would be named praise. The sun will no more go down, the prophets have said. The moon will no more flee away from you and all of your days of mourning will be ended, Israel. But now in the first century, in these days of Jesus, they're languishing in the grip of a power that despises them. And in their helplessness and in all their earnest longing for national liberation, here comes a man, one of their own, a Jew, whose power is not like anything they've seen before. They've seen Roman legions. They've seen mighty engines of war, but here's a man who is stronger than death itself. Here's a man who simply utters a few syllables and the power of death dissolves like a sandcastle under a pounding wave. Who is like this man, they say to themselves. I mean, can you imagine the surge of excitement that's boiling at this moment as Jesus comes into the city? Who can stand against a man? who is stronger than death? Who can possibly stop the rise of Israel now, now that this man has come, now that this champion has come, now that this Messiah 
has come. And so their praise begins to swell and to surge. And as Jesus approaches the seat of Jewish power, as he approaches the city of the king, Jerusalem, they begin to hail him as their deliverer. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, we read. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, which means save us now. Hosanna in the highest. You, Lord, who dwell in the highest heavens, save us by your king. Save us by your man. Save us now by your Messiah. Our waiting is over. The time has come. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes to save us now. And so we can understand all the excitement. We can understand the electricity in the air. We can understand the seismic jubilation, as Matthew describes it, as they watch this man approach the city and as they recall the scriptures that have been etched upon their minds. As Jesus rides along the road, in their mind's eye, they see King David after exile, retracing his steps back to Jerusalem to reclaim his throne, riding on a donkey that was provided for him. And so they say, here is the return of the king. But notice now what Luke does. The parable of the ten minas that precedes the triumphal entry is also about a king. Verse 12, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. But he's not the king that the people want. His citizens, we read in verse 14, hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And then following all of this jubilation, we have another passage. Jesus looks out over the great city and this man of great strength, this man of great granite begins to weep. And he says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He wasn't the king that they were looking for. They didn't understand the peace that he was bringing. It wasn't peace with the Romans that he was bringing. It was peace with God. Do not think that I have come to bring peace, Jesus says in Matthew 10. I have not come to bring peace. I have come to bring a sword. Because the gospel, the saving message that Jesus brings is about allegiance to God. It's about loyalty to God. It's about being accepted in God's kingdom, becoming part of his family, and importantly, surrendering to his rule as king so that we're no longer governed by ourselves. And we're no longer governed by the trends of this age, but we are governed as his people by the word of the Lord. We are governed by the law of his mouth, which has become more precious to us than all of the wealth of the world. We've had the all of his word driven through our ears so that we are now bond slaves to righteousness and to his ways. We become those who look at our vast and our diverse culture and we look at it and we say, but the Lord says... But the Lord says, but the Lord says. 
But they do not want to hear the Lord say anything at all. We do not want this man to reign over us. And so the gospel, whenever it is proclaimed as the gospel, will always divide, as the Lord tells us. The gospel will set a man against his father. It will set a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Why? Because the fundamental problem with the human nature is that it does not want the Lord to reign as king. It does not want to be ruled by the word of his mouth. Unregenerate nature despises being governed by the rules of God's kingdom. It will welcome the Lord with great fanfare as long as his kingship is not too exacting. It will celebrate the Messiah as long as his main preoccupation is to fix our problems, to deal with these Romans, and by and large to leave us alone to do our thing. But the, this kind of mentality wants nothing to do with the operating, fundamental operating principle of the gospel. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Take my life, Lord, and make it a living sacrifice to thee. Rule me, govern me, command me, make me. This is the heart cry of the man or the woman who looks to Jesus to be his or her king. It is the language of Terstegan's hymn. Is there a thing beneath the sun? that strives with thee my heart to share. Ah, tear it thence and reign alone, the Lord of every motion there. Then shall my heart from earth be free when it hath found repose in thee. And so let me ask you a searching question today. Jesus comes to us today clothed in his gospel. He comes to us today with glad tidings, his death and his resurrection has overcome everything that stood against us. Jesus has dealt the death blow to death. He has made it so that our mortality can no longer threaten us. He has paid the debt of our rebellion against God. Because of our great sins, there was a record of debt that stood against us, the word says. There was a legal demand against us that the sinner must die. And Jesus took that debt and he nailed it to the tree through his own body and we read that he canceled that debt forever. And there were spiritual rulers and authorities that we had succumbed to in our sin. There was the devil and all of the demonic agents that we, are, we had become enslaved to. He had become our cruel taskmaster. We serve the kingdom of darkness and in the mystery of the Lord's suffering, in his blood and in his sweat and in his tears, in his agony and torment on the cross, Jesus, we read, disarmed the rulers. He disarmed the principalities and powers. They had weapons against us, we read. They had power over us. We had been captured by these agents of darkness. But Jesus disarmed them. He broke them. He put them to open shame. And he triumphed over them. And the Lord Jesus comes to us today clothed in this gospel, declaring that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. 
He comes to us clothed in this victorious, triumphant gospel. And so let me ask you today, how are you responding to this arrival of the King? The Lord has not come to add to your life today. The Lord has not come to add to your life. He has come to be your life. He has not come to fix your kingdom. He has come today to establish his own. That is the Lord today. As for these enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them, will you today have the Lord to reign over you? He never comes as Savior except as he comes as King. And so let me offer a prayer today. And if you feel so inclined, as many of us would happily do, please join with me in your hearts. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be your royal throne. It shall be your royal throne. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.